Good morning, everyone. In 1889, a Catholic priest named Father Damien died of leprosy in Hawaii uh, with these words on his lips. I am gently going to my grave. It is the will of God, and I thank him very much for letting me die of the same disease and in the same way as my lepers. I am very satisfied and very happy. So 25 years earlier, the young priest from Belgium, Father Damien, had come to Hawaii as a missionary. Hawaii at that time required that all people who had leprosy, which is now known as Hansen's disease, uh, live on a particular peninsula in Molokai, uh, and they were quarantined from the rest of the population. They weren't allowed to live anywhere else or encounter anyone else. Um, and they requested, that leper colony requested um, that spiritual leaders be sent to them. And so the Catholic Church responded by sending Father Damien. And he was only supposed to go for a three-month period. But uh, very shortly after he got there, he asked the church to permanently assign him to, uh, to the leper colony in Molokai. And so he lived there for the rest of his life, which was 16 more years. Uh, while living there, he worked to transform the colony from a place of death to a place of life. Uh, he spoke the Hawaiian language, um, so he could speak to his, his patients and his neighbors in their own language. Um, he was assisted by the folks who lived there, uh, so his patients, to build houses. He constructed a water system, and he planted more trees. He organized schools, bands, and choirs. And he provided what little medical care he could. There wasn't a lot of knowledge about leprosy in that time and place. But he provided the medical care that he could for those who were sick, which was everybody. And, um, and he lovingly buried um, those folks who uh, died from the disease. And he persistently brought the needs of the leper colony before both the Hawaiian government and the church so that they would continue to send resources and help. He himself uh, contracted leprosy and died of the disease, uh, like I said, in 1889. But after his death, other priests and nuns were sent to take over his work and to continue uh, making that a good place into the new, into the new century. Uh, Father Damien didn't fear death, which made him free to love others the way that Jesus loves us. And so I think he teaches us that once we get over our fear of death, which I recognize is very hard, uh, but once we get over our fear of death, we can do whatever it is that Jesus calls us to do. So our scripture from today is from three passages in Acts. First from Acts 28. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. From Acts 9, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. 
In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. From Acts 28. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publicus, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publicus lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were all about to sail, they put us on board whatever we needed, or put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Okay, sorry, this is different than the one. Thank you, Paul. We're all over in the text today. Uh, so, yeah, we gave Paul three sections, which is not normal uh, for us to do. But um, I also want to mention as we start here, I am aware of the time. I'm a chronologically aware person. Uh, but I don't think that we should hurry uh, what God has to say to us here today, uh, because I think this is really, really important, just like what Christina was talking about. So, um, I want to start with a game, uh, a trivia game, which I've been really striking out on this lately. So I've called this game um, Stump Z. So Z, because Z's just blowing up my trivia games lately, um, every single time. But what it, here's the question. What is the most powerful force known to humans other than God? I heard water, Yeah. Okay, there's a good, there's a, that's a Z-like answer. She's trying to take me down. What's, what's the answer I'm looking for, church? Death. That's right. Death is the most powerful force known to humans. I mean, think about all, all the other forces that we've learned to overcome. Think about gravity. I mean, the first day that humans overcame gravity and flew planes and, you know, I mean, that's what we loved about MJ, right? Is like he could all by himself overcome gravity for a few moments and he's just like flying. Um, other forces of nature, like we can build tornado shelters and we can get better at fighting fires. We can figure out how to control those massive, powerful forces, even water. But once death has occurred, it's matchless. And nobody trying to touch the power of death. And yet stunningly here in the book of Acts, we see this most powerful force beginning to crumble. It's like the early signs of what is to come once and for all. It's like that first warm day in March. You know what I'm talking about, right? The sun's out. You feel the warmth. The snow's starting to melt. And you're like, uh, 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 don't get too hopeful. This is a sign of what's to come, but it's going to be cold again. 
right? You know more snow's coming, but it's a sign. It's like winter's losing its grip. It's losing its power. It's about to die. Spring is coming. Um, it reminds me of my favorite book in the Chronicles of Narnia, which is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And of course, in that book, the White Witch has cast a great spell over all of Narnia so that it's what? It's always winter and never Christmas. It's the worst, right? Always winter and never Christmas. And of course, we have to remember the saying on Peter's sword. When Aslan bears his teeth, winter meets its death. When Aslan shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. And as Aslan nears Narnia, everything begins to thaw. Life begins to spring up everywhere. The White Witch's curse can't hold things down. It can't keep things dead anymore. It's like th things are popping to life all over the place. Aslan's breathing on statues that have been dead for a long time. And boom, their color returns and they start breathing. They come back to life. It's early signs that spring is coming. And here in this passage today, we see the exact same thing. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's given his Holy Spirit to his followers. And now spring is coming. Death is losing its grip. Life is taking over. It's not complete for sure. But the early signs are there. The snapshots are there. And that's what I want to look at this morning together. I want to look at three snapshots here in the book of Acts where we see death's power crumbling before our very eyes. Or put it another way, three shot, snapshots of the disciples beating death. And if you were here last week, you know we're in this series called Get Out, and we're comparing two narratives in the scriptures, laying them side by side. The narrative of God with his people in Exodus, and the narrative of God with his people in the book of Acts. How he's constituting a people and getting them up out of Egypt, and then doing the same thing in Acts. Getting them up out of Jerusalem, and out into the world to share the good news of the gospel. And... Last week we looked, or these, these two weeks, last week and today, we're taking a look at this idea that God's people are a community that has victory even over death. And last week we saw the Israelites beating death at the Red Sea and with the Egyptians. And now this week we see the disciples beating death in a variety of ways. So let's look at these three snapshots of the disciples beating death. And the first one is baptisms. Baptism is a snapshot of the disciples beating death. Acts 2 verse 41 says, Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I mean, can you imagine your church growing by 3,000 people in one day? That's what was going on in the book of Acts. And baptism was many things for the early church. We've talked about this several times. It was a public declaration of faith in Christ. It was a type of church membership ceremony. But it was also a powerful sign that the Christian is connected to Christ, and therefore they're buried with him in his death and raised with him in his resurrection to live a new life in him. So they're now part of that community because they're tied to Christ that has victory even over death. And that's what we're still saying when we baptize someone. When we bring our, our big black cattle tub up here, and we, we put someone in the water, we say to them, look, you're going to be baptized. You're going to die with Christ. The old you is going under the water. The new you is coming up out of the water to live a new life in him. You're dead with him in Christ. You're raised with him to live a new life. And so you're attached to Christ the rest of your life. Now death can no longer have the final say over you. You have victory over death because you're tied to the one who defeated it. That's what we're saying in baptism. One baptism, we talked about it like this. I was trying to figure out how to explain this to kids, you know, which is always a great 
opportunity and a great, a great thing to think about is like, how would I explain this to like five-year-olds? And they're all up around the baptistry and we were talking about this and they're putting their hands in the water and stuff. And I was saying, it's kind of like, you know, if you've ever seen one of those Coast Guard helicopters, go get somebody out of the ocean and, and um, rescue somebody. And they drop somebody down from the helicopter. And let's say that person is in the water and unconscious, which is like we were when Jesus came and rescued us, except for we were actually dead, the Bible says, in our sins. And he came, and he dropped down from the helicopter, and he can't just kind of, you know, hold on to us, but he straps us to himself, so much so that now our lives follow the same trajectory as his. So we're buried with him in his death, and we're raised with him in his resurrection to live a new life. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. So we're crucified with Christ, but we're also raised with Christ in his resurrection to live a new life, a life that will never die. We're part of this community that has victory over death because we're attached to the one who defeated it. I love how Paul says this in Romans 6. Uh, He says this so many ways in Romans 6. I'm just going to read it for us. Listen to all the ways that Paul says this. And I would ask you to just reflect on that. Like, this is what's true about you if you're a Christian. Romans 6, 1 through 11. Paul's talking about um, sin and how we have victory over sin, specifically. And And he goes into this thing about baptism. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So baptized into his death, raised in his resurrection. He goes on in verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And this is the command for you and I today. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, see friends, that's how baptism works. That's why it's a snapshot of the disciples beating death. The old you went under the water with Christ in baptism, and the new you comes up out of the water with Christ in his resurrection to live a new life by the power of the Spirit. So baptism is still a public statement that you're part of the community that has victory even over death because you're united to the one who defeated death himself. Amen? That's the first snapshot is baptism. But the second snapshot of the disciples beating death is healing miracles. And healing miracles are so significant because, you see, sickness is the first part of dying, right? I don't know if you've ever thought about this. It's kind of a morbid thought pattern. But nobody actually dies of natural causes. Right, doctors? Am I right? There's no, like, that comforts us. Well, they died of natural things. They died of old age, whatever it might be. But that's not true. Something gets everyone. Right? If, you, if you look at the report, if they do an autopsy, something gets every one of us. You take sickness away, and all of a sudden, there goes death too. Right? The two go hand in hand, sickness and death. And so when we see the church having victory over sickness, 
we see a snapshot of the future of God's people. We see the great power, death itself, crumbling before our very eyes. And just imagine these scenes with me. I'm going to read several of them from the book of Acts, and this is just, this is just a, a sampling platter. Okay, there's lots more that I could have used. The healing of Aeneas, Acts 9.32. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Can you imagine that? Just boom, rise, make your bed. Incredible. Death, the power of death is crumbling. Paul heals the cripple in Acts 14, 8 through 11. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth, had never walked. This is not just, this is not just a guy that kind of injured his leg. He had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted their voices, saying in Laosinian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Isn't that incredible? Do you see it? Do you feel it? Spring is coming. The flowers are bursting through the ground. It's the early signs. Death can't hold it back. Life is breaking through. One of my favorite stories, Paul read this. Acts 28, 1 through 6, I'm not going to read it again, but Paul shakes off a viper. And this is a very, very bad day. Paul has just been shipwrecked, you understand. And that's an awful thing. Tossed into the ocean, he swims to shore and, and makes it. And then he gets to shore and he's cold and wet and probably angry and really tired. They hadn't eaten for like 14 days. Finally ate a little bread before they got dumped into the ocean. And he's just going to sit by the fire. You know, you can just imagine, boy, it's been a terrible day. And out of the fire comes a, a, a viper and bites him and hanging on his wrist. And I just imagine Paul just being like, ah, and he just kind of shakes it off into the fire. You know, like, like what, what else could happen today? But he's not alarmed by it at all. Shakes the viper off into the fire. And you see these people around him. They're looking at him like, uh-oh, karma got him. Karma got this guy. You know, he, he did, the sea couldn't get him, but karma's going to get their person every time. And then they realize, oh, no. The rules are different for this guy. Death doesn't have the same hold on this guy. God heals him from the snake bite, and then they go from thinking he was a murderer to thinking he was a god. It's incredible. And then we have in Acts 19, verse 11, Paul's healing handkerchiefs. It says in Acts 19, 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, full disclosure, I'm not a big fan of handkerchiefs. I've never understood what they're for exactly. I've always thought that's a good way to spread disease by just blowing your nose and putting it in your pocket for later. You know, um, and so Paul is essentially handing this disease-filled handkerchief to people, and instead of getting sick, they get well. I don't understand it. They get healed miraculously by his handkerchief full of snot or something. I don't know. Like, and his apron. Like, I just don't understand. Like, this shouldn't be happening. But they're like, hey, Paul, can we have your handkerchief? He's like, well, yeah, if you want it. I just sneezed in it. But yeah, here you go. And then they get well. It's amazing. 
the power of death is crumbling before their very eyes. The disciples are beating the unbeatable enemy. The sad things are coming untrue. The world is being made again like God intended it to be. This is what it means to be part of the community that has victory over death. That's the second snapshot, healing miracles. So we have baptism, healing miracles, and the third snapshot of the the disciples beating death here in Acts is resurrection miracles. And Paul read one of them, but I'm going to read the other one today too. And if we ever doubted that death's power was breaking because of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, if we ever doubted that the church is in fact the community that has victory over death, look what happens here in the book of Acts. Actual dead people coming back to life. And one of my favorite stories, Acts 9, and the title here is Dorcas Restored to Life. I'm sorry, Tabitha. I don't know how this happens. You know, her name is Tabitha. And it says there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. And it's like, Luke, that's too many details. You know, it's like, my name's Dave, but it's translated, you know, moron or whatever. It's like, just leave that part out. We'll just go with Dave. You know, we can obviously see why they use the name Tabitha, because Tabitha's a beautiful name. Dorcas, not so much, but that's why she's called Tabitha. And this lady is full of charity and acts of good, or good works and acts of charity. And, of course, um, we know that because all these widows bring things that she made for them. And, unfortunately, she gets sick and dies, right? She gets sick and dies. And so, obviously, they're going to start planning the funeral, right? Start, hey, bring your pictures. Let's make a collage. Let's put together, uh, you know, a, a, a DVD and, and let's make a PowerPoint and, and all the cool memories that we had with Tabitha. Is that what they do? No. There's no funeral planning going on in this house. And she's really dead. They've washed her body. They've placed her in an upper room. She's really, really dead. But instead of planning the funeral, they go, this will not work. We cannot go without Tabitha. This is not going to happen. So they start planning, and they're like, Peter's nearby. Let's call Peter. And I love how they don't tell Peter what, is, what they expect out of him. They're just like, tell him to come at once with no delay. And so Peter's like, okay, well, I'll come. And once they get there, Peter finds out their plan for Tabitha's death is simply, you need to raise her, Peter. Raise her from the dead. We need Tabitha back. Which is how you know you're an awesome disciple, by the way. If all your friends gather around and say, what are we going to do? We're not having a funeral. We're going to raise her from the dead. That's an awesome disciple. That's what I want at my funeral, right? I mean, that, that's like the best funeral ever. And that's what Tabitha, I want to be a Tabitha. And so Peter comes, and he doesn't seem intimidated, but talk about pressure. Like, okay, I guess I'll try. And he gets down and starts praying. And he, and he looks over to the body, and he commands her almost the exact same words as Jesus commands Jairus' daughter. Jesus says to Jairus' daughter, Talitha, arise, sweetie. It's time to get up, basically. And, and Peter looks over at Tabitha's body and says, Tabitha, arise. And she does it. She does it. She gets up. I mean, just imagine this. Death's power isn't just breaking, it seems broken. It's like done, it's toast. Even after somebody's been dead and washed and placed in an upper room, it's nothing for this community that's got resurrection power pulsating through it. As we mentioned last week, you know, all these people are dead now. You know, they didn't raise from the dead never to die again. Um, We don't actually see how Tabitha felt about this because she actually had to die twice, which is a huge bummer. 
I would actually probably only like to do that once. But this is a powerful sign that the Christians actually believe that a solution to their problem of the death of a loved one is resurrection. They think that's a legitimate solution. They're like, yeah, why not? I think, that, I think that's the right thing to do here. Don't you guys? Yeah, that's what we need to do. I mean, I think that's just absolutely incredible. So that's the first resurrection miracle. The second one that we didn't read about is Eutychus. And I'm just going to describe it. So, um, core students, you need to pay attention, our middle school and high school students. This text is proof that sleeping during the sermon can be deadly. Because this young man fell asleep during one of Paul's long sermons in a three-story window, fell down, and died. That's what happened. That'll teach you not to sleep in church, right? But, but for real, don't listen to a sermon in a three-story window. Just not a good idea. You can tell he was a young guy. He's like, oh, I'll be fine. And he falls down three stories and dies. But Paul goes down. It says in verse 10 of chapter 20, But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. I just think, now it's starting to get normal. Like Paul just runs down, does a quick resurrection, and then goes up and has dinner. I just don't understand. I mean, can you see it here, friends? This could have been an awful, awful, awful church service. We've never had anyone die in a church service. But this could have been terribly tragic. And Paul just turns it around right like that because this is the community that has victory even over death. Death had no hold on them. They were gathering around the Lord Jesus Christ who was crucified and risen again. And because Jesus had broken the power over death and they were in him, they too had victory over death. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, today is your day. You are invited to come into this community where you also can have victory over death. You can come and be attached to the Lord Jesus so that as he rescues you, your, your old self will die with him. Absolutely. We're not going to, you know, beat around the bush about that. But the new you is raised with him to live a new life and you'll never die. You'll live forever. That's what we invite you to today. There's going to be people up here to pray with you. Um, for some of you today, maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, but you've never been baptized. We don't really push and plug a lot of these things. Sometimes I think maybe we just let it happen on its own, let the Spirit work on you. Um, and that's awesome too. But if you've never been baptized, if you've never identified with Jesus in baptism, we want to baptize you. Core students, I mean, this is an invitation for you too. Like I said, we're very careful not to push or manipulate people. We, we trust the Holy Spirit can do that. But to identify with Jesus, to say, I'm part of this resurrection community. I'm part of the community that has victory over death because I'm attached to Jesus, the one who defeated it, is a really big deal. That's the first step. So if you want to be baptized, we will get the tub out next week. We'd be excited to do it. We love baptisms around here. There's nothing but joy in life. For the rest of us, I'd like us to just take a couple minutes as we close here to reflect on what this means. We did this last week too. What does it mean for us to be a community, part of the community that has victory even over death? How does this change everything about us? Because it does, just like Christina's TMT, like when you are not afraid of death, it changes everything about you and your community. Like that community is unstoppable. And specifically, I'm wondering, how does this affect your sin struggles to be part of the community that has victory over death? 
You know, like Paul asks, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, obviously, we all sin for the rest of our lives, but the Bible makes clear distinctions about willfully sinning, living in sin versus sinning at times and hating it. And if you're really battling a sin struggle and you're like, I'm not getting free from this, we get it. We've all been there before, right? We're here to help you. No shame. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for sure. But you need to start by understanding you have victory even over death. And that means you have victory over sin too. Jesus died to break the power of death and sin for you so that you're no longer a slave to it, like Paul says. So being part of this community means you don't have to be a slave to your sin any longer. You can be free from it. And starting to believe that is the first, the first place. So how does this change your sin struggles? Secondly, how does this change your faith and specifically your prayer life? You know, Acts, the book of Acts just challenges me so deeply because we see the disciples praying such big prayers here, believing crazy things are possible. Are you praying in line with this? Do you really believe it? You know, I remember the first time that God asked me to pray for a dead guy. It was a horrible circumstance. I was just new as a youth pastor, and we had a lot of students in our orbit. Um, I was coaching this one young guy. He didn't really come to our student ministry, but he's friends with lots of the kids. He was at a party. He got drunk. He drove home, crashed his car in a grove of trees, and died. And it was horrific. Our students were just riveted, just grieving. And as I was grieving with them, I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, I want you to go find out where he is, and pray for him to be raised. And I was like, God, he's been dead for three days. He's fully embalmed. The funeral's tomorrow. He's like, I want you to do it. So I read all the passages. I read Tabitha. You know, I read Shiras' daughter. I got up my courage. I got some of the students to go with me. We got a private little meeting with him, shut all the doors, and we prayed, God, raise Aaron from the dead. Give him back his life. And it didn't happen. Otherwise, I would have started with that story. It didn't happen, right? And maybe some of you have had experiences like that where you prayed big prayers and it didn't happen. You just got disappointed, so you quit. Because that, because that one thing didn't happen, you're never going to do it again. And what I'm going to tell you is, that doesn't mean it'll never happen. That doesn't mean God won't move in that way at some point. Like I mentioned, all these people we're talking about have died again and aren't alive anymore. The apostles didn't continuously get raised from the dead, right? But God gave them tastes of the resurrection early. And I believe that's what we can ask for. That's what we're asking for our sister Olivia, right? We're like, give, God, give her a taste of your resurrection power early. We know you're going to heal her eventually completely 100% in the resurrection, but give her, give us a taste of it now. We're free to ask that. We're free to pray for that free to hope for that. And I believe we will see it from time to time. Might not always happen. It won't always happen. But we're free to ask for it. How is this affecting your prayer life to be part of the community that has victory even over death? And then finally, how does this affect your witness? You know, the scriptures say, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. And, um, you know, human beings are such hope-dependent creatures. Hope is all about a, a confident expectation of the future, what's coming to us in the future. And friends, there's a lot of bad, sad news around us, isn't there? Like, if you read the news regularly, it just leads to depression because it's all bad, sad, tough stuff. But you have really, really good news, 
right? You're a part of the community that has victory over death. You know and believe that Jesus Christ is coming back to kill death and sin and Satan once and for all and to put everything right in the world. You have incredibly good news. You have a huge amount of hope and peace to give this broken world. How is this affecting your witness? Your ability to just be buoyant in the midst of tough circumstances because you're like, yeah. I mean, what a witness that we heard about in the TMT. I mean, just that, I'll die with these lepers because I've already got victory over death. I can risk at a high level. How is this affecting your witness? You, my friend, brother, sister, you're part of the community that has victory even over death itself. Let's live like it, amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, these texts, so many examples of your power over death. Oh, Lord, make us a community like that. Make us a community that really believes that, really celebrates that, really enjoys that. We love you and we trust you to do it. It's in Jesus' powerful name who has defeated even death itself, we pray. Amen. <laughs>